Hello and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. This is a special Mount Rushmore podcast with probably my favorite musician of all time and a really, really great guy who's decided to do the Mount Rushmore of bass players. Please welcome to Mount Rushmore podcast, Mr. Matthew Sweet. How are you doing, Matthew? Hello, I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? Real good, thanks. So, Matthew, you chose to give us the Mount Rushmore of bass players. And one of the reasons you said was that you started off playing electric bass. Was that the first instrument you played? It was uh, not the first instrument. I played uh, the recorder when, you know, they we got <laughs> to that point in school where you could play an instrument. It was probably third grade or something. And then I learned to play the violin uh, a little bit um, uh, sort of right before I got an electric bass. And, you know, one day I was in a music store and I saw electric guitars and basses sort of hanging somewhere. And, and I thought those look really cool, you know, like I, I want one of those, you know, mm -hmm. um, they, they just looked kind of space age to me, you know, in a, in a way uh, that appealed to me. And so <laughs> I uh, <clears throat> did a bunch of, you know, extra chores or whatever, and talked my parents into getting me this little, uh, uh, bass and amp uh, made by Univox at the time. And uh, my first uh, uh, learning apparatus was this uh, Carol K bass method, uh, you know, book from probably like Mel Bay or whatever the people wow. that made, That's made uh, sheet music. Did you talk to Carol about that when you're recording in reverse? Oh, yeah, yeah, I had her sign sign it for me. I still had my bass player's uh, uh, my uh, how to play bass book by her. Um, so I learned, you know, the basic notes and kind of what they looked like on a scale. I could never really read super fluently, but I could figure out what written music was you know and that was mostly from carol's book but i learned the basics of you know what each note was and um you know how to play little runs and things and uh so carol k i think i would put as one of the people on the mount rushmore uh, plus it's cool if a lady can be on there oh yeah she uh played on a lot of cool uh records over the years she was really originally a guitar player and in a way her bass playing in a lot of circumstances is very progressive it's kind of um really melodic and sort of changing and uh <clears throat> i didn't think of her as being that kind of bass player until i sort of worked with her and then i more understood how kind of melodic and fluent she was when set free and i mostly knew her recorded from uh, brian wilson beach boys sessions pet sounds and things and there she was playing very simple little things in a way not as carol like because he brian had the parts you know very carefully figured out um, but now if i hear an old record on the radio or something I hear Carol like kind of moving around and doing cool stuff, you know? Yeah. So, so she'd be one, I think I would put on the Rushmore. 
And definitely from a role model standpoint, as a first call guitarist, and then definitely a first call uh, bassist and a member of the Wrecking Crew and somebody yeah. who's called upon to actually contribute riffs and uh, sometimes melody lines in a studio session where perhaps uh, Sonny and Cher might not have the whole uh, bit of that song figured out. Carol was yeah. also instrumental to to bringing some of these very well-known pop songs uh, to to the to the fore. So that's a great uh, that's a great pick. Yeah, lover Carol, um, also a very colorful lady, very talkative. Um, a little bit of uh, uh, of uh, what do I want to say? Uh, intrigue about supposedly there's things she claimed she played on that she didn't really play on. Oh, really? <laughs> so there was always this little bit of a like a question on certain things. You know, she some. I think there was some arguments about Motown stuff. I know they came to Los Angeles and recorded a lot of those records, and she claimed to have played bass on some that people said couldn't have been her, you know. Yeah. Um, but but what we're talking about, we know she played on, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's Carol. She's up on the Rushmore. Um, I'm going to then switch gears very much to Chris Squire. Okay. Chris Squire was the bass player in this group, yes. Mm -hmm. and he was a very progressive rock group. And uh, he had also a very melodic and kind of lead bass sort of style. He had a very interesting sound that was this more kind of grindy bass sound. And uh, it was very easy for me to listen to Yes Records and hear the bass and what the bass was playing because it was kind of loud on those records. And so a lot of my early learning was learning all the yes records on bass which were these kind of impossibly challenging things but i could pick them out by ear i had sort of a musical ear for it was roundabout uh, was one of those was like a roundabout roundabout was big on the radio when i was in about fifth fifth to sixth grade on you know uh rock radio uh what do i want to call it on fm radio where it was not just hits we called it what's that <laughs> realm of radio called you uh, know um, uh, adult contemporary or we're talking about <laughs> album rock album rock sure but it had a name at any rate um uh they so they had various songs that would be on there all good people uh, but I bought those albums. I bought Fragile because it was the one I was hearing on the radio. Um, one of their records I'm still quite fond of is uh, Close to the Edge. Mm -hmm. It has some really cool musical moods on it and things that I really like. <laughs> um, and uh, so Chris Squire, yeah, he would go up there. Very innovative bass player and... Uh, he would be, you know, at the top first or second on, you know, the in bass player magazine or, right. you know, um, year after year, he would sort of be in either number one or number two. Um, another guy I thought of and I thought he could sort of be and, you know, with 
Chris Squire, I think of other bass players that, you know, could be superimposed (laughs) in this place um, that sort of got that sound. Uh, To me, sort of had a thing. There's Roy Wood from The Move. Mm -hmm. um, To me, really got that sort of sound. And uh, he was working at the same time, you know, a little bit before Yes. And when Yes was going to happen and the same thing with ELO. So <clears throat> you hear that bass playing move like bass playing, even on the first ELO record, it's kind of quite a bit like the move. Mm-hmm. And that made me jump to, um, in fact, I went to Roy Wood because I thought of Tom Peterson from cheap trick. Right. Who also kind of can do that. And he added, you know, he and Squire also both played eight string basses. Tom played 12 string bass a lot. Uh, so, uh, they all kind of are in one category to me a little bit, even though they're from different genres of music. Hey, you know, Matthew, you were bringing up the fact that Chris Squire and his sound and had a very lead presence in some of the music or a lot of the music and brought the bass to the forefront. Bass is an interesting instrument because like the guitar, it can take a melody, it can take a lead sometimes, but it often is part of this engine room of the song that along with percussion is creates the feel of the song is that something as a young person that you enjoyed uh being part of or it sounds like you picked up the bass because it looked like a sign a shiny alien <laughs> yeah well you know i did and i asked the the band teacher at my uh grade school you know which one should i get the one with four strings or the one with six strings you know so i i didn't know much what I was getting into when I got a bass but then when I as I learned how to play it um, that became a favorite thing for me is listening to a record and figuring out the bass parts mm-hmm. off of it and I did it with lots of different kinds of, of records not but I but I did my very early training was a lot of yes records and then I I thought I'd pull another guy who was sort of a giant of the bass world at the time, I was a young kid and um, from a totally different sort of jazz fusion background, Stanley Clark. Oh, yeah. Great. Um, I, I really was enamored of his playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did learn how to play like those, you know, he would bang his thumb and then pop things, mm-hmm. pluck things, you know. And I did learn to play quite a few of those Stanley Clark songs. <clears throat> My older brother, Mike, had his records. And so I was like, wow, that's really, you know, about the bass, you know? Yeah. And so th- that's a guy who um, maybe everybody talks about him. I don't really know in the realm of bass players now, but he was really a giant. He was the one who would be either number one or number two against Chris Squire, you know, at the time. <laughs> yeah. He was just sort of thought of as a very accomplished bass player. Now, <clears throat> as I got to writing songs, so Stanley Clark, I think, deserves to be there because he was just a very influential and a unique, a total unique talent, you know. His thing was very much his thing. Now, what I was going to say is, as I got into songwriting more, uh, I s- saw the function of bass as a basic thing, 
you know, more than what I'd kind of grown up on. <clears throat> of course, once I was in junior high, then it was the British um, new wave kind mm -hmm. of invasion. And I got into, you know, a lot of things that were simpler of kind of a new wave time, you know, like the Buzzcocks or whatever had very simple sort of bass lines um, compared to those guys. <clears throat> but even then, you can find people, uh, the bass player in the attractions was very melodic and interesting. Oh, yeah. But but uh, service of the song for the bass um, it became kind of clearer to me once I was making my own songs. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guy, my last guy for Mount Rushmore is Paul McCartney. I was wondering if he was going to come <laughs> into the yeah. list. Very, I'm uh, going to get to McCartney. Yeah. And his music was such a driving force. I mean, his bass playing was such a driving force in the Beatles um, early on. And he, you know, did a lot of interesting things with the bass, but still served the songs like really well, you know. Yeah. Um, so McCartney's bass playing, I think, was such an interesting amalgam of the styles he'd grown up on, you know, yeah. and then he made style of his own, you know, with so much cool bass playing on Beatles records. But, uh, and I really got into him when I was a little bit older, sort of when I first went to college and then, you know, I guess it was really even a little later after I was in Athens, I got, I traded some guitar I had for a Hofner bass. Oh, right. <laughs> and then I really focused in on that kind of picked Hofner kind of, <laughs> it has almost a clicky kind of thing about it. <laughs> that's some on people, some, some stuff kind of has that sound. He, he, he was unique because he would play often in four, four, he'd be playing six, six notes or, be playing yeah. eight notes in that in a in something that was straight time so yeah, yeah yeah he had a very groovy feel about things and uh uh he you know and a lot of people a lot of people were influenced by his bass playing right. so many people including myself even though it was a little later um i i didn't for some reason i didn't really play bass with beatles records much Mm -hmm. uh, until I was older and it maybe wasn't so much playing with them as listening to them and go, wow, that bass sounds so cool to me, you know? Right. Um, but I really hear Paul's bass playing when I hear Beatles songs and, uh, <clears throat> and it's so vital. So I love the bass and I do like really melodic bass players, but I sometimes keep it really simple. You know, it just, I kind of just go with whatever, I feel like when I play bass, mm -hmm. I Do certainly would not put myself on Rushmore. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, I, I would say the year that um, I, I will, I'm an unabashed Matthew Sweet fan and you're, you're right there on the Rushmore for me. Um, and you have remained so for boy, almost 30 years now. Oh, that's and, amazing. Well, thank you. I'm very flattered. My, I would also say that one thing that, uh, uh, Sir Paul McCartney kind of teaches us is if you could be in a studio and you could have your entire band go on the run and you can finish the album yourself if you're a versatile uh, musician like he, of course, is. And it 
it's a uh, it seems like a very uh, welcome place for you to be right now to be in the studio, not just doing demos, but doing the whole you know album with with your guest players and things like that. Is is, is somebody like Paul uh, who can who can at least get by in all the different roles as a musician on this song? So he's, he's somewhat of a, a role model, if not from a compositional standpoint, in a production standpoint, in that he can hear the whole song and then kind of do it on his own. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, guys, I really love like, you know, Brian Wilson, um, was kind of that way. Although he used other musicians so much, he could really do it kind of without the beach boys. Yeah. Um, and since I'm a solo artist, um, you know, that's kind of the way I, I learned writing songs was recording myself. So I learned how to get by on a lot of things um, when I was, you know, kind of privately writing uh, my first stuff. I, I got a four track cassette recorder. I worked at a music store and, you know, got to hear what it was like to, you know, play a bass and then play some guitar and then sing on it or whatever order, you yeah. know, I did it in. And uh, so, yeah, Paul's amazing that way. And I really liked his first uh, solo record a lot because it has that feel of being a songwriter doing all the playing. Right, right. Uh, well, uh, I don't want to take up the rest of your day, but I do appreciate you taking time to talk with us. And I'd love to uh, ask you to share out with our audience uh, where they can find you out online where they can find you out on tour where they can connect with matthew sweet well um there's matthewsweet.com i can't promise how up to date it is but hopefully it has some <laughs> up-to-date stuff i don't really go and deal with it much um my management keeps our facebook going uh pretty strongly so new things you can learn about easily through uh, facebook um and uh, just searching online, I imagine you can also find tour dates if you don't happen to follow them on Facebook. Um, we tour quite a bit, usually more toward the summer months. We, I just went to Spain and England in December and did a bunch of shows. Um, I've toured really a lot since uh, Tomorrow Forever came out. <clears throat> excuse me and uh we've done you know west coast every year so we do get around the states a lot um it, it we have a great time doing shows and everybody that comes are they're really diehard fans um so it's you know kind of always a good experience no matter what else is going on you know yeah um so uh i think you can hear my voice is kind of going out today sometimes my voice doesn't hold up all the time but uh even then we have a great time so uh not to uh to say something negative <laughs> about coming to see me play live i only mean today i'm kind of forced yeah well uh thank you so much for chatting with us it's great to have you on the mount rushmore podcast and i'll I'm encourage all of our listeners to see you out on the road and to go to the different outlets to get your to get your albums so it's been a delight to have you here and uh we'll wrap things up with the mount rushmore of bass players uh with our special guest my favorite musician matthew sweet oh thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs>